0: Ready to go at 149 pounds, T.J. Williams of Iowa's Hawkeyes, a sophomore taking on Tony Davis from the University of Northern Iowa, the Panthers' junior, 19-3. On the- Tony was a phenom.
1: From the Harvey Twisters, we have Tony Davis.
0: If you end up in that bracket with him, <laughs> you have to deal with him. He, he was a phenom. I
1: mean, there's no
0: emotion, there's no nothing. He just goes out there, does what he, does what he has to do. Congratulations. Tony made history on that bout. The first four-time state champion. How's it feel?
2: Feels
0: good. You got one more yet to go after,
1: don't you? Yeah. I just think I just loved about a wrestler just getting my hand raised, knowing that someone cared for me. You know, growing up in the inner city of Chicago, it's like you only get acknowledged for negative things. In Chicago, it happened again last night. This year
3: in Chicago, more than 65 people have been killed in gang fights.
1: Kids shooting kids, gangs fighting gangs. That was known as one of the worst areas in the inner city at the time. It's been a murder capital for the past three years.
4: It's 70 acres of no man's land, void of legitimate enterprise, with its own laws and its own language.
1: Hearing gunshots every night, that was that was a norm.
4: The only structure is provided by the gang.
1: Wake up the next day, someone got shot, murdered. That was that was just part of, the, of a daily ritual.
0: If you live in that environment, you almost have to be a product of that environment.
1: I was in the hospital, jaw was wired shut. And that's when Gossim and Angel.
5: Welcome to Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host Ryan Warner. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to present our new audio documentary Escape from Inglewood. This one's on Tony Davis, one of the most legendary wrestlers to ever come out of Chicago. And let me tell you folks, growing up in Illinois, everyone knew about the legend of Tony Davis. But few knew about his reality growing up on Chicago's south side. And so this story isn't just about wrestling. It's about Tony's struggle to survive in one of the most violent neighborhoods in the country. But our story doesn't begin there. Our story begins in 1984. Six-year-old Tony Davis is living in Markham, Illinois, a tough working-class suburb located four miles south of Chicago.
2: He was always clamoring on something. This is Tony's mother, Lolita Davis. We was living in the projects, and they had a little gate outside of the projects. And they, you know, they had them big old light poles to light up the, the uh, park. Tony decided he wanted to jump off the gate to grab the pole. He just, he was a person who wasn't scared to try anything, you know what I'm saying? When Tony was born, his parents
5: were still in high
2: school. At the time, I was 17, and Tony's daddy was like 14.
1: My biological father was never really around. I think they separated when I was like maybe six months.
5: The second of four brothers in the household, Tony was raised by his mom.
1: We didn't come from a lot of money, so my mom tried to make the best she can do. So I had to worry about you know, is going to be food on the table tomorrow? You know, will the lights be turned on? Are we going to have running water the next day? So I mean, it was it was kind of like that lifestyle. That I live, but my mom tried to make the best for it. I mean, we didn't have lights next to, we didn't have lights. We run a stitcher cord next door and use the electricity. If you don't have any running water, you take a pot of water, you put it in a stove, take it your, your bath water. So it was, it was those kind of struggles.
5: The world outside Tony's house was also becoming a struggle. During the mid 1980s, Markham, Illinois was hit hard by unemployment and the crack cocaine epidemic.
3: Today, there's a new epidemic smokable cocaine it produces an intense high within five to ten seconds it is an explosively destructive and often lethal substance which is crushing its users
5: as tony's mom was trying to raise four boys she watched as her community changed almost overnight as it was destroyed by crack
2: it was real common it was real common coming up in them years. that parents wasn't there for their children and they was out here doing drugs. You got your friend selling drugs to your friend's mama.
5: The explosion of crack sparked a wave of crime that rippled through Tony's
2: neighborhood. It was just violent over there. You know what I'm saying? It was real bad over there.
5: To keep Tony safe, his family enrolled him in wrestling.
1: I had two uncles. They just kind of brought me out one day and said, hey, just give it a try. You want to try wrestling? I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. I got on the mat. I just fell in love with it.
5: And what, what was it you loved about it?
1: I guess it was kind of hard growing up in inner innocent Chicago, getting a, getting attention from one person. We had four kids. So when I go out there and win and, and, you know, felt the crowd, was appreciative of my accomplishments. It was kind of like a rush. Like I felt like someone cared. So
5: The wrestling club that Tony's uncles took him to was the Harvey Twisters. One of the best youth teams in the state. The Harvey Twisters are leading the tournament. The yeah, Harvey Twisters.
0: They're making a strong bid to win their fifth consecutive state championship.
5: The Twisters were a park district team located in Harvey, Illinois. One of the most blighted communities in all of Chicago. Inside a dingy gym, this small club has produced two Olympians, over 25 state champions, and Tony Davis. The team's leader was legendary head coach, Quint Harrell. Let's just start,
0: uh, for the folks who don't know, you go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Quint Roy Harrell, I coach the Harvey Twisters, uh, 38 years.
4: Yeah, I'm here with Quint Harrell, the head coach
5: of the Harvey Twisters.
0: My main thing was really to give them an opportunity to get off the streets
1: through wrestling.
0: For most of the Twisters, Coach Quint was the only
5: positive male influence in their life. Here's Tony.
1: So most of the kids that was coming from the twi- to the Twisters was coming from, you know, broken homes for the most part.
5: And for Tony, Coach Quint filled the void that was left by his
1: father. He was everything in my life. I mean, he was everything and more.
5: During a time when most of the country was still dealing with race issues, Tony and the Twisters looked to Quint for how to handle themselves.
0: We were at Peoria. There's three Caucasian women sitting on the bench. And any time we come to the gym, we always line them up from the shortest to the tallest. The lady looked me dead out of the eye. She said, the niggas are here. So now I want to react like I want to react, but I can't do it in front of these kids because I need to lead by example. So I look at the lady and I said, we gonna kick some butt too.
5: As the Twisters went from tournament to tournament, dominating throughout Illinois, a young Tony Davis began to stand out to Coach Quint.
0: He just had a natural ability to uh, react to you know any type of uh, offense. You know, really weird, something that really is not teachable.
5: Tony was gifted, but he also lacked one of the main ingredients needed to make champions.
0: He wasn't the hardest worker. He hated practice, but he knew he had to go. And he knew I was going to be there to get him.
5: Even with his disdain for practice, Tony began to excel inside the Twisters wrestling room. And in just his third year in the sport, he qualified for the Illinois Kid State Tournament. But Tony was only nine, competing against 14-year-olds. And he lost in the semifinals.
0: And he told me after that match, he said, um, I never lose that state again, and you know. And I, I, I said, oh, "Don't, don't, don't say that." I said, "It's some tough guys." He, he looked at me at eye. He said, "No, I never lose a state again." He wanted he wanted me to believe him, you know. And and honestly, I didn't. I look at how he mispractices. You know, this this could happen again. I, eventually, I know you're going to be great, but I don't think that you know that you're disciplined enough to win all these titles. But in his mind, you know, he wasn't going to lose again.
5: Tony returned to the Twister's wrestling room and began training. His main workout partner was also his best friend, future NCAA champion T.J. Williams, the youngest of three brothers, all of which were state champions.
6: First time I met Tony Davis, I think when I was young, first, second, third grade, like I feel like I've been knowing him like my whole life. You know, I feel like he's a brother, right? Oh, t we was real close.
1: We was only one-way class
6: apart. We would hang together every single day. You know, we would go fishing with our coach, Coach Quint. Didn't even really catch no fish, but we would go fishing, <laughs> you know?
5: By the following year, as a fourth grader, Tony did what he had planned to do the previous, win a state title.
1: I think when I won my first title, that's when I realized, okay, this is, I found my niche. This is something I enjoy to do.
5: Tony began winning tournaments across Chicago, and along the way, Developed a reputation for himself. Here's TJ
6: again. Every time he competed, it would be a, a crowd of people.
0: Davis is keeping the knee pressure on. Look how loose they are on top. Throws the legs
1: in and he gl- tries to lock for him a cradle. the cradle.
3: He uses almost all college moves now. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. why these guys are so good.
6: And I don't even think he really even knew that. I just think he just was so in the zone that he just wrestled.
0: And again, to me, it looks like another candidate for outstanding performance, or outstanding wrestler performance for this tournament.
5: By the time Tony was in 7th grade, he became the first Illinois wrestler to win four straight kids titles. But also during that year, his journey took an unexpected detour as his family was forced to move from their south side suburb home to Chicago's inner city. They settled in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the city, Englewood.
4: Picture a no man's land with broken windows, dark abandoned buildings, no law and order. The only structure is provided by the gang. There are carefully demarcated areas controlled by rival bands of armed militia fighting over the rubble.
1: Nearly every night, there's sniper fire. That was that was known as one of the worst areas in the inner city at the time. Like I said, it was more drugs, more violence, more crime. Um, just those kind of, those kind of elements, which it can easily bring you down as an individual. So.
5: After once serving as one of Chicago's busiest shopping meccas in the 40s and 50s, by the time Tony moved to Inglewood, it was home to two of the largest street gangs in the city.
1: That was kind of like the war zone, you know, so gunshots every night, hearing cars go up and down the road, tires squealing and turning, that was normal. Walking out and going to a grocery store and having 5, 10, 15 people out in in front of the store drinking was normal. Uh, So that was just part of the, the, that's the city life. It's crazy how your mind can switch so easily to get used to a, a new normal that you know not, was never really used to, but, yeah, it became a normal thing.
5: Tony's family settled into a high-rise in a road that bordered two rival gangs, which meant for Tony that the most dangerous part of his day was the four-block walk home from school.
1: That seventh grade, I remember that fight, this guy named James, James Taylor. I'll never forget him. He, was one of the, he had a big family in school. And, um, but he's always pick on, pick on, I would run home and and finally I ran home, my mom caught me running home from school and uh, they was chasing me and she like, well, if you don't go out there and kick his ass, and you come to us, I'll kick your ass, pretty much. So I went out there and had a fight with him and I, I demolished him.
5: As the violence in Inglewood escalated throughout the 80s, Tony began taking extra measures to ensure his safety, according to his friend T.J. Williams.
6: He had to take on adult responsibilities, you know, like making sure people don't break into his house. So I mean, those are scary times, you know, and it's like, like, wow, you, you gotta do that. It's like,
2: yeah, man, I gotta do that. It's like
6: sometimes growing up in certain neighborhoods prepare you for life. And, and sometimes growing up in those neighborhoods, it, it it just prepares you for death.
5: Sixteen miles south of Inglewood. The Twisters were still a refuge for Tony when he could make it to practice. TJ Williams again.
6: Yeah, so once Tony moved to Chicago, he would like I would see Tony maybe on Sundays at tournaments, you know, and he would pop in here and there, and then you was, then you wouldn't see him, and then you would see him on Sunday. like, man, what were you at? Oh, I just couldn't get there, man. So then he would go to tournaments and dominate everybody, and that was like that for a while.
5: It was Coach Quint who picked up Tony every Sunday and took him to the tournaments.
0: Englewood was great for him because he didn't have to practice there. You know, because that's what he wanted. He didn't want to go to practice, he only wanted to go to tournaments. He, He loved that.
5: Despite not practicing and living in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the city, Tony won a fifth straight kids' title and finished eighth grade with a five year unbeaten streak. His wrestling accolades earned the attention of Mount Carmel High School an all-boys private school on the city's south side. Here's Coach Ron Oglesby, a former wrestling coach for Mount Carmel.
4: You come as a boy and you leave as a man. That's their motto. And they stick to it and and they believe in it. There's not many Mount Carmel kids that have graduated that regretted going there. We sent a lot of kids to the academies and Yale and Harvard.
5: During the 90s, Mount Carmel earned a reputation for recruiting the best athletes in the Chicagoland area.
4: Well, here's your graduating class. Joe Williams, Donovan McNabb, Simeon Rice, Antoine Walker.
5: And the wrestling team was no exception. The head coach, Bill Wick, the same man who cornered Gable at the Olympics.
3: There's a good look at Bill Wick, the veteran coach
5: recruited Tony Davis to wrestle for his team. So in the spring of his 8th grade year, Tony went to Mount Carmel for a visit.
1: Bill Wick was very passionate about giving kids the opportunity to get a good education and be able to wrestle at a good, a good facility. He was another coach you can feel his passion, his energy, that he's really the, not only to win, but to help build you for the future.
5: At the end of the recruiting visit, Bill Wick offered Tony a full tuition scholarship valued at around $10,000. Tony took the offer to his mom.
2: It was a mostly all-white school. It wasn't really a lot of black people going there. But I always told Tony, no offense, don't trust these white people. Because once you get hurt, you're not any good to them anymore. And you need something else to fall back on. But Tony's alternative to
5: Mount Carmel, the local public school, Inglewood High, was one of the worst in the city.
1: Englewood was a public school, it was a local school. A lot of drugs, a lot of gangs, a lot of violence. I would have really spiraled out of control if I would have went there. And I had a better chance at being more successful going to Mount Carmel than going to Englewood.
5: So with the promise to his mom to focus on his grades, Tony and Lolitha returned to Mount Carmel for a second visit.
2: So I ended up going up to the school, checking out the school, and Tony went there for a few classes. And he kind of liked it. I said, you sure you want to be here? He said, yeah, well, I want to be here. I said, okay, we're we going to see what happens.
5: When Tony Davis arrived at Mount Carmel High School in the fall of 1992, he was a world away from the public schools he had known in Inglewood. But he wasn't alone. His best friend T.J. Williams was also going to Mount Carmel on a wrestling scholarship.
6: So when I heard about that... We were all going to go to Mount Carmel, and it was a Catholic school, and you had to be in dress code. It's like, well, what's dress code? And then you realize that it wasn't no girls at the school. It's like, huh? so I'm around a bunch of guys all day. And it's like, that's weird.
5: Mount Carmel was an all-boys school. Here's Tony.
1: Yeah, that was different. Um, I mean, you know, high school, who want to be around a girl? Like, I want to see some girls, right?
5: As Tony got used to his new world, fall turned to winter, and he joined the most talented wrestling team in the state. But Tony's toughest battle would come off the map. To get to school each morning, Tony rode a public bus from Inglewood, three miles east to Mount Carmel. Along the route, the bus crossed through multiple gang territories.
1: That bus would roll, roll straight down through that, um, that street, but it's stopping at every corner.
5: And on every corner, the gangs would place a group of soldiers to patrol the area. And sometimes, those soldiers would get on the public bus and check for rival gang members.
1: So they do it. they see kids dressed up nice, going to Montcromwell, and uh, they pull you off the bus, mess with you, take your hat, throw it, throw it in the mud, um, start fights, get on the bus, just start punching kids for no reason. That's what happened to me. I was going to school one day, and, and I'm mean, just on that guy just came in through the back of the bus and start punching me, so... That turned to altercation. I got into altercation. I didn't know next time I came back what would happen. You know, I didn't just sit there and get punched. I mean, I'd defend myself. So I said, Bill Wick, I can't, I'm not riding the bus no more. You guys want me to come to practice? You got to come pick me up.
5: Mount Carmel assistant coach Ron Oglesby was tasked with bringing Tony to school each day.
1: Uh, You know, I picked him
4: up for three years. You know, I just remember his first house. Didn't have much. I remember, you know, he lived in the living room. He had an army bed, no sheet, thin mattress, no, you know, pillowcase, an army blanket, and pushed up against the radiator.
5: And how do you think living in that kind of environment rubbed off on Tony?
4: I think it toughens him up. You know, he doesn't trust a lot of people. It takes a lot to earn his trust, too. And, you know, that's what Wick and I tried to do. You know, tried to bring him out of that environment.
5: But even with Coach Oglesby picking him up each morning, Tony began taking extra measures to ensure he wouldn't be jumped on the return trip home.
1: I just started changing out from my um, school clothes and putting on my street clothes. That way I can fit in with the locals.
0: Coach Quint heard rumors of Tony's new routine. And some kids, you know, uh, like, like as like Tony did, you know, he would change clothes so he can fit in better, you know. Because uh, if you mistakenly come across as a nerd or, you you know, you better than us, oh, you're going to be challenged. You're going to be dealt with.
5: After Tony was jumped on the bus that morning, his goals shifted from winning wrestling titles to the most primal of human needs.
1: The goal is just being able to come to the house and ring the bells and and hopefully that, you know, you don't get hurt coming there. And hopefully that when you go into the house that the people in the house is not hurt. That was, that's the biggest, that's the biggest, like, thank you. Like, because you never know. I mean, it was people getting murdered before they get home and getting home and finding their whole family murdered. I mean, it was just that, that intense. It was a scary, it was a scary situation.
5: As Tony struggled to survive, back on the wrestling mats, a sore groin led doctors to discover that he had a double hernia and would be forced to miss the remainder of his freshman season. By Tony's sophomore year, he had been off the mat for nearly 13 months. He opened the season against the defending state runner-up. Tony Davis
3: for the Caravan of 130. Now we get the takedown here. Inside trip takedown for Davis. Again, two more points. This is not just anybody that Tony Davis is throwing around. This is a state finalist at 12 to one a major decision for Tony Davis.
5: By the midway point of Tony's sophomore year, he was undefeated and ranked number one in Illinois. And four days after Christmas, he and the Mount Carmel team traveled to Pennsylvania for one of the toughest tournaments on the East Coast what's now known as the Powerade Tournament. And after Tony had advanced through the bracket, he found himself in a dogfight in the finals. Here's Ryan Casey, Tony's high school teammate, who was watching the match unfold.
4: In the first, second period, he gets put to his back. And and no one had really ever seen that. And he ended up scooting off the mat. You know, it's like, kind of like goes out of bounds.
5: After Tony composed himself, He battled back and won the match 16 to seven, pushing his unbeaten streak to seven years. But it was still the first time any of his teammates had seen him on his back. And after the match, Tony walked up the bleachers and sat next to his high school teammate, Ryan Casey.
4: Afterwards, he came up to us and he's like, hey, don't tell anybody in Illinois about this, you know? At that moment, I thought, man, what pressure Tony must feel to to be carrying like this undefeated thing since he was, you know, eight years old or something.
5: A month later, Tony won his first Illinois high school state title, completing an undefeated sophomore year and winning the Chicago Tribune's Wrestler of the Year Award. But behind the scenes, things were deteriorating for Tony. He was a no-show at spring and summer workouts,
6: So I don't really think Tony put a lot of time into training. I don't even know what he was doing. He was probably in the city doing something. As Tony
5: was spending his summer on the streets of Inglewood, a new threat was emerging. Someone who had the potential to beat Tony and end his unbeaten streak.
3: Proviso East, Reggie Wright. Reggie Wright has got a winning streak. That's either at 79 or 83 matches, depending on how you're counting.
5: Reggie Wright was from Chicago, and had grown up in Tony's shadows. They had wrestled at the same weight class and Reggie had never beaten Tony. Here's Milton Blakely, Tony's childhood teammate.
6: When we wrestled for the Twisters, Tony used to fuck him up. Even though Reggie would keep coming, Tony would fuck him up. Reggie got better.
5: During that summer, Reggie entered the Junior Nationals and left as the third best wrestler in the country at his weight class, automatically catapulting him onto the national scene. But even still, he couldn't escape the memory of losing to Tony in the kids leagues.
0: He wanted to beat Tony, that was his main goal.
5: So during the following season, Tony's junior year, Reggie was all too happy when he found that he and Tony would be at the same weight class.
0: It was, yeah, it was a lot of hype and you know, I welcomed it.
5: As the season went on, fans could hardly wait for the two high school stars to wrestle. And the anticipation only grew as Reggie took a jab at Tony.
0: You know, Reggie put in the paper, he said, uh, he said, if I can get to the third period, I, I got him. Even
5: with the newspaper antics, Tony wasn't worried about Reggie.
1: See, I thought I was in his head to where I have beaten him so many times, I just thought I had his brain suppressed where he can never beat Tony Davis. You can't beat Tony Davis the greatest. You're not tough enough. You're not quick enough. You're not strong enough.
5: By late February 1995, Tony and Reggie had arrived at the state tournament, and their matchup had become one of the most talked about in Illinois history. Here's Quint Harrell, Tony's childhood coach, who was at the
0: state finals that night. I saw guys jawjacking, talking a lot of crap, you know, and I was like, "Man, this this is this is gonna be a match," you know. And what what are people saying? Like, what's the what's the so chatter? they were actually literally betting big money on the match and. And I was in awe. I was like, what? You know, and I had never seen that before.
5: As Coach Quint took his seat, he watched as the early weights wrestled. And then finally, it was time for 135 pounds. The match everyone had been waiting for Tony versus Reggie.
3: Let's move to the 135 pounders in Class AA, a battle of unbeaten here. Tony Davis of Chicago Mount Carmel, he's on your right, on your left, Reggie Wright of Proviso East.
5: As Tony walked out to the mat, his assistant coach Ron Oglesby followed closely behind.
4: I don't know how many people Assembly Hall holds, but it was full. And, and just and you know the spotlights and uh, the whole Assembly Hall just erupting. You know it just puts goose pimples, uh, you know all over. You know you just it's just exciting. You almost want to cry because it's so happy. You know you're so happy.
5: Wearing red ASIC shoes and a brown Mount Carmel singlet, Tony walked to the center line and shook hands with Reggie.
3: This is going to be one of those matches that even if there are not a lot of points scored, it's going to be a very exciting match between two outstanding kids with a world of skills.
5: In front of a sold-out arena, Tony and Reggie battled through the first period, then the second, and with a minute left in the third, it was all tied up 3-3. but Reggie kept pushing the pace. Here's TJ Williams.
6: He was moving. He was stop, He was just in and out. He was just trying to score. He was pushing the pace. And he just wouldn't let up on Tony.
5: But then with 20 seconds left, Tony scored the go-ahead takedown. There's Davis now
6: with two points.
5: As the clock ticked down, Tony's victory was all but assured. Or so it seemed. Under 10 seconds.
3: And now Reggie
5: Wright trying
3: well, to he reverse. has got it
5: tied and overtime again Reggie's reversal sent the match into overtime and at this point all 12,000 fans were on their feet as they were watching the great Tony Davis potentially have his first loss in over eight years
3: Davis trying to defend the state championship during an overtime Reggie Wright trying to win his first both are juniors Now he's trying for a duck under. And he's got it. Not yet. Not yet. Now he needs to spit behind. It's almost there. And there it is. Reggie Wright is the winner. Seven to five in overtime. And what a peak and valley match Reggie Wright had.
5: In front of 12,000 fans, Tony stood up and soaked in his first loss since the Reagan presidency. His teammate Ryan Casey was watching from the Mount Carmel section. And the coolest
4: thing about the Reggie match that I thought is that this guy hasn't lost a match since the third grade, loses to Reggie, and as he's walking off, he gives him
6: like a pat on the
3: butt.
5: As Tony walked off the mat and into the tunnel, the first person he saw was his best friend, TJ Williams.
6: So when he lost that match, it was a tough match, and I think I cried. I think I cried that match. And, and I was crying, and I was like, I'm not going to lose my next match. And I don't even know who I wrestled that year. But um, I was like, I'm going to go out there and win for Tony.
5: As TJ walked out of the tunnel and onto the mat for his state finals match, Tony slumped against the wall and began to cry.
1: But that, that was a turning factor realizing then what, what you put in is what you, put in, what you get out. I wasn't putting the work in. I didn't deserve to win. So, you know, the, the, the victory went to someone who was putting the work in, who deserved to win. That's how wrestling goes, that's how life goes. What you put in is what you get out. So it was a heartbreaking you know loss, but it was also a wake up call.
5: After collecting himself, Tony walked up to the concourse and found Coach Quint.
1: It
0: probably was the best thing for him to be honest. It was a wake-up call. It just takes certain things to bring the best out of you. Most of the time, it's adversity.
5: The Tony Davis-Reggie Wright match is still talked about to this day as one of the most epic finals in Illinois history. But little did anyone in the arena know that they had just watched Tony Davis, a junior, wrestle his last high school match. Tune into episode two, to see what happens next. That was episode one of Escape from Inglewood. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you want more content, please consider joining our fan club at patreon.com and search Wrestling Change My Life. That's patreon, P A T R E O N.com and search Wrestling Change My Life. A special thank you to our sponsor, Spartan Combat. Who's currently running a special on custom team apparel for the freestyle and Greco season? Go to SpartanCombat.com to place your order. Escape from Inglewood was written, directed, and edited by me, Ryan Warner. Story Consulting by the great Raleigh Peterkin. Original score by Gary Linnelli. And business manager Tanner Warner. A final thank you to Tony Davis and everyone we interviewed for this project. Now we'll see you at part two of Escape from Inglewood.